On this first Sunday of Lent, we are celebrating Wellness Sunday with a focus on recovery. So today, we have Stephanie Robert with us who is going to share her life, her story, her spirituality. And uh, we want to thank Stephanie for uh, courageously sharing uh, her life and uh, how God is moving in her life. So Stephanie Robert, please come and address us. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. As you said, my name is Stephanie, and I am a child of God, a daughter of the King, and definitely a miracle. Jesus is my Savior, my Father and friend, and he is my shepherd, and I am one of his sheep. But until he rescued me, I was on a lost path and ended up in the greatest pain I have ever known, physically and spiritually. God has always revealed himself to me through his word, so my heart knew what was happening in that moment that changed the direction of my life. In my brokenness, I cried out to the Lord that day, the day I call my rock-bottom day. Yet it was the most grace day of my life. It was the day I took my last drink. This is my story, a story of hope, and ultimately about how God transforms human lives through his son, Jesus Christ. But it certainly wasn't always pretty. But I am completely humbled by God's unconditional love for his people, including you and me. God chose me and loves me, yet because of my sin nature, inherited by the fall, I was bent on turning from him and chasing after other gods, like alcohol. Over the course of many years, I found myself so far off from God's path. My heart had become hardened by my initial choice to yield to my selfish nature, rather than to God's will as given in his word. Under the influence of alcohol, instead of the Holy Spirit, I followed after my own desires. I was born and raised in New Orleans and raised in a Christian home, though, by two loving yet imperfect parents. Drinking alcohol was modeled for me from the very beginning, so it was easily accepted as a way of having fun and dealing with the stresses of life. We attended church and Sunday school, but always loved a good time. Alcohol was present at every occasion, so I started drinking just like everybody else. What started out as social drinking quickly became overindulgent, which resulted in bad consequences, the least of which was an awful hangover. Despite the next day's shame and turmoil, I kept on. I continued drinking heavily into my college years, yet earned two degrees, then married my high school sweetheart, became a teacher, was working full-time, all the while attending church and Bible study. In 2004, we had our first child, and I became a stay-at-home mom. With the boundary of my work schedule lifted, it was easier to pick up that bottle of wine again to deal with the emotional, overwhelming task of being a new parent. My drinking lifestyle became my new normal and seemed acceptable to everyone as long as I didn't overdo it. But despite my efforts to manage my drinking, I kept suffering painful consequences. Only by God's mercy did I never get a DUI, end up in jail, or lose my friends and family, things people typically assume about an addict. I never got fired because a stay-at-home mom can't really get fired. But I may have successfully avoided these externals, but I was absolutely miserable physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The inability to get out of bed without a headache, sometimes unable to eat, feeling awful inside and out, usually resulted in me just needing another drink to recover. 
It was exhausting to pretend that I was okay. Worst of all, I was not really present to enjoy the people and things in life God had planned for me. Life was certainly fun and wonderful at times, but I continued in the destructive cycle, so I just got slowly worse over the years. The Bible actually calls addiction idolatry and alcoholism drunkenness. So according to his word, I was an idolater and a drunkard. It wasn't about how much I drank or how often I drank, but that I turned to the tool of alcohol to solve my problems instead of to Jesus. I had a huge heart problem, a worship disorder, if you will. Point blank, I was a sinner living in sin, and my only hope was a savior. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A while before I became sober, I remember attending a Bible study on the book of Hosea, learning about God's unrelenting love for his children, no matter how far down into sin they have fallen. We were also learning about some of the idols we tend to worship today. Basically, anything I put ahead of God in my heart is considered an idol. It can be an activity, a person, or a substance. I confess I have worshipped many idols at some point, but they were always rooted in self. Living in self-centeredness, not God-centeredness, was my problem. While I was drinking, it was for the comfort and pleasure it brought me, at least at first. But then life became too hard and demanded too much responsibility of me, and I needed a way to escape. I had many reasons to drink, but which they were all just really excuses. Being married with three young children, I became so overwhelmed, I went straight to that bottle of wine instead of my Savior. I was consumed with fear, anxiety, and depression as a result of continuing to drink, despite God's attempts to warn me through his word. As any drug will do, will temporarily relieve pain, alcohol was doing for me physically what I could not do for myself. So I was still determined it was the solution to all my problems. As I squeezed God out and picked up drink after drink, it became my obsession, my God. It got to the point where I didn't really want to go anywhere where I couldn't drink, and there was never an occasion where I turned one down. I searched out friends who drank, and if you didn't drink, you were not going to be my friend. Every day, I was either getting over yesterday's drinking, thinking about my next drink, or trying to enjoy it. I would open a bottle of wine shortly after I got the kids home from school, just to cook dinner and get through bath time. I could hardly wait to pour my glass, sit down and watch TV, and sometimes even do my Bible study homework. I found myself stuck in this vicious cycle of torment, yet I couldn't get out. Some days I wasn't sure if I wanted out, or if I did, I thought I could stop if it got bad enough. However, I was enslaved at this point, but I was also unwilling to get honest with myself and with God. Feeding my flesh and giving into temptation seemed a lot easier when I was struggling. However, the most shameful part was that I was hypocritically claiming to be a Christian, but I was not living the Christian life. I was raised in church, participated in Bible studies, and never questioned my salvation, which I assumed was enough for me. I knew the truth of God's word in my head, I just didn't let it entirely into my heart. The poison from the alcohol put me in a state of denial toward the consequences of my actions. On the outside, I thought I was living a somewhat decent Christian life in some areas, but on the inside, I refused to see that I was not in all areas. 
The Holy Spirit continued to convict me, yet I was deliberately withholding my heart from God because I wanted to keep enjoying my drinking. I had that religion part down, but I lacked the beauty of a real relationship with Jesus that was genuine. I know now God was grieved by the way I was living my life, and that has broken my heart. But a heart needs to be broken before it can be put back together. I had to be crushed and defeated to see my drinking for what it truly was, a sin against God. And it was exactly that, because it had separated me from him. It was also hurting the people that I loved the most, my husband and my children. So along the way, I was allowed to have consequences, because God loves me. And I believe there was a purpose in all of it, even in the self-imposed pain. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Hebrews 12:6. Toward the end, I was a daily drinker. I would force myself out of bed and put on a facade that everything was just fine, when in reality, I was totally miserable inside. Life became something to endure. Pretending was completely exhausting. Honestly, I knew this was not God's will for my life. I knew that if I kept on in this direction, I was only going to get worse, not better. I prayed all the time for God to just make me quit and take the desire away. But I wasn't willing to take any responsibility or any course of action. I felt isolated and guilty because I knew it was damaging all of my relationships. Who had I become? Why would I be doing this to myself? Why would God still want me now? Maybe I've gone too far. Painful as it was, his discipline was driving me back to his truth. Looking back, I can see that God was lovingly trying to get my attention and simply refused to let me go. Even as things worsened, God was merciful and compassionate. However, I ended up so physically sick from drinking that I was truly afraid I might overdose and die on accident. On August 17, 2012, I did go on what would be my last binge. I hadn't planned to drink so much, but in a total state of drunkenness, I had a moment of clarity where I truly realized that I couldn't really live anymore if I continued to drink. I was suddenly aware that this was the end of the line and that, it, that I was at the ultimate decision point. I couldn't ignore it and just go back to living my old life. I could choose to keep on drinking, which would ultimately lead to death, spiritually and physically. Or I could choose life, choose Jesus, and truly live now and forever. Seems like an easy decision, but being dependent on alcohol, I couldn't imagine life without it. Would living life God's way be any fun or even bearable? Or would I be sentenced to a life of boredom and self-pity? Living sober from then on seems not only miserable, but impossible. How wrong I was. Luke 1.37 says, For nothing is impossible with God, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10 I knew this, yet I had no joy, no hope, and that is definitely the worst place to be, especially where I knew where to find them. Until then, I had been unwilling to make the exchange. In order to reach hold of God's hand, I had to put down the bottle in my hand. The gift of desperation and repentance was finally given to me by his grace that day. During what was my final drinking debacle, Jesus met me in that dark, dirty pit and allowed me to see what I was doing to myself and to my family. I'd finally cried out, I can't fight this anymore. I don't want to. 
But then I realized, no, Stephanie, you can't. You're right. You can't do this. And God never said you could. But he can and will if you let him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Utterly defeated, I said, okay, God. But my immediate next question was, just how are you going to keep me sober? And the words that came to my mind were perfect and sweet. My grace. He had already done it. I was finally willing to truly believe that what he did on the cross for me was really real and had the only power to save me from myself. I accepted his free gift of grace and was so humbled by his unconditional love and forgiveness that I wanted to start over with him like a little child. I was filled with gratitude for what he had done for me. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us even when we are unloving towards him. Then what was I supposed to do? What was my part? Just walk with me one step at a time. For the first time in my life, I completely surrendered to God and placed my trusting hand in his. He had never abandoned me, even in my darkest hour. And I knew from then on I would never be the same. The next day, I went searching in my Bible for that word, grace. I found 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For the first time, that familiar scripture became real to me. The scales fell off my eyes, and I began to see the truth, and it began to set me free. I don't know what Paul's thorn in his flesh was, but perhaps the thorn in my flesh is remembering my drinking and sinful past. God has used all my bad choices to get me to where I am today. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28. Rather than just removing my desire to drink, easily taking away the problem, he showed me that I still have to live with weakness, but I'm supposed to rely on him for strength. In humility, my heart was changed by the Holy Spirit and my desire to live for him became greater than my desire to drink. It's an issue of my heart that only he has the power to heal. Ezekiel 11:19 says, I will give my people hearts that are completely committed to me. I will give them a new spirit that is faithful to me. I will remove their stubborn hearts from them. And I will give them hearts that obey me. I can still struggle with temptation, but now the Holy Spirit is able to live and work through me. My weakness is actually a gift that requires me to live in complete dependence on him. I am no longer self-sufficient, but live knowing that God is sufficient. My unsuccessful attempt at willpower has turned into will of God power. Turns out, reliance on his strength has enabled me to live freely from the bondage of self. In the last seven and a half years, God has been transforming me into what he created me to be. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. 
And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. It is a lifelong process of change. I will not be made perfect on this side of eternity. But now I'm allowing him to sanctify me each time I choose to do his will. My relationship with Jesus is the most important fact of my life. When I stay close to him, he takes care of my sobriety, my family, and everything else. He is my refuge and my strength, and I trust him with all my heart. I no longer have to turn to anything else but him when I'm hurting. He gives me the grace I need moment by moment as I continue to seek him through prayer and reading of his word. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29:13-14. Certainly, living the Christian life is never promised to be easy. But when I turn to myself or to this world for relief, there is no real solution or hope, and I fail. Instead, when I turn to Jesus, I have life, peace, and victory. God is certainly using my time in the wilderness for his purposes, and has blessed me with a life I never knew was possible. Joel 2.25 says, I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. Today, my husband and children have a loving, sober wife and mother. I attend Bible study, church, and have new relationships built on the foundation of faith rather than drinking. I am present, reliable, and authentic. I enjoy life so much more than I could have ever imagined. Not once have I regretted waking up without a hangover and getting to live life to the fullest. I am also being used to help others who struggle with addiction, which helps me and brings me joy. I am also full of gratitude today for what God has done for me, that I only want to love him back in return by living in obedience to his will. Thank you for patiently listening to my testimony this morning, and now I'd just like to close with two of my favorite psalms and a prayer. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Psalm 107, 13 and 14. And Psalm 41 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Dear God, we all have chains that keep us away from you. But thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that we may live a righteous and eternal life. Thank you for hearing us when we cry out to you and calling us to repentance by your grace. Thank you that there's nothing we can do that is too horrible for your forgiveness, and there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation except by faith in you. Thank you that we can trust you and be free to live our lives for you. Please continue to give us the willingness to surrender to your will daily. May we never take your free gift of grace for granted or boast in ourselves. May all that we say and all that we do glorify you. Amen. We're delighted to have Amanda Polich come and share some of her life 
and her spirituality with us, her experience, strength, and hope. Amanda, good to have you. Well, I have to say, I think my parents are probably looking down on me and glad I'm doing this today. So I first want to say my name is Amanda Polich, and thank you guys for having me to he here today. Thank you to my friend Joni, who I've been on this journey with, my husband and my friend Kim supporting me today, and really to the congregation and Father Bates. Um, told me to talk louder. Okay. I'm not, I don't do this all the time. So, oh, that's better. Okay. Good stuff. That makes me less nervous too. Um, for bringing this awareness to the, uh, St. Francis community. I think it's really important. It's really important for those of us here in the Houston community. It helps us have a healthier community community. I also thank you for listening to my story today. I think, you know, when we share our stories, there is healing in that. And when we listen to other people's stories, we learn and we're able to connect to our own story. So I'm really grateful for you guys. Uh, I'm a wife, a mother, a friend, a businesswoman, a volunteer. I love that you have Dress for Success here today. I do quite a bit of work with that. Um, and I'm also an alcoholic. My sobriety date is November 13th of 2013. You see, I was all those things before I became an alcoholic. I grew up with an amazing family. My family was intact. I'm still close to my brothers today. I didn't experience trauma, and we went to church most Sundays. Drinking was a normal part of social events. The 4th of July, Christmas, vacations, they all included a stash of booze. My family wasn't daily drinkers. It wasn't something I came home to every night. But those holidays and celebrations all had that, that stash of booze. So when I got to high school, naturally, I thought this was normal behavior, a rite of passage, and thus began my drinking career. College was college, and college weekends were always filled with parties and dinners, sporting events, and vacations, all with that stash of booze, just as I had known growing up. After college, I was holding down a successful career, enjoying life. I moved to Chicago, and wow, that was a great city to be young and professional and single. Um, I had a lot of fun. I didn't drink at home alone. I didn't drink during the week. And I couldn't have fathom having a drink at lunch until I did. You see, alcoholism is a progressive disease. Traveling weekly with an unlimited expense account introduced me to nightly drinking. And when the traveling stopped, the drinking didn't. All the things I mentioned above, drinking alone, drinking during the day, and drinking before client meetings, the things that I couldn't fathom doing 10 years before became the norm. And the worst part of it, I had no idea I had a problem. You know, delusion is a real thing. The only alcoholic I knew growing up was my grandmother's father, and he was mean and it was never discussed. I didn't realize you could be all the things that I opened with and still be an alcoholic. So with the help of some family and friends, I was thrust into this thing called recovery. I had no idea what it was, but I knew it wasn't serving me or my family well. My first treatment in 2012 was not well received by me, but after a few days in the hill country, the weather was nice, somebody was cooking for me, they were cleaning for me, I met, met some nice people, and nobody was asking me for my sales quota, I decided to stay. So I stayed the requisite 28 days, and I drank the day after I got home. 
I didn't connect with anything I learned. I thought this alcoholism was fascinating, but it still didn't resonate with me. So I tried a little 12-step and a little drinking, and when it got worse, I showed back up to that treatment center just nine months later. They told me it was okay to be imperfect and handed me a card that said I was perfectly imperfect, and we started back on the recovery process. I realized how important this thing has been in my life, and somehow, although I wasn't perfect, I started connecting the dots, and I started showing up. I started connecting to the first step. I admitted I was powerless over alcohol, and my life had become unmanageable. You can insert anything for alcohol here. Prescription drugs, pot, pills, queso, gambling, you name it. Anything to numb the pain. Our book tells us, essentially if, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably an alcoholic. I never really quite tried to quit. I didn't think there was much sense to that. But I definitely didn't stop once I started. I either ran out or passed out. Once I became willing and asked for help, the 12-step community told me the solution was a spiritual experience. Steps two and three share that only a power, higher power could restore me to sanity, and I was to give my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. I didn't think I was too, I, I didn't think I was insane, but here I was in a treatment center for the second time in nine months. Again, that delusion is a, is a pretty powerful thing. So I grew up going to Resurrection Lutheran Church on the north side and spent many Sundays there. I spent three years in junior high in confirmation classes, and these guys bring back good memories for me. Um, getting married in the Lutheran Church was important to me. Right? If God was my solution, then I could check that box. But reality is, why I was believed in God and I was a Christian, I didn't have much of a relationship. I prayed for people when they were sick, um, and just kind of, like I said, checked the blocks. Reality is, recovery is where I started building my relationship with God. My sponsor taught me how to pray, and to pray on a regular basis, morning and night. It started simply asking to keep me sober for the day and then thanking him for keeping me sober at night. And it started working. The days added up. I really grasped onto our third step prayer. I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self so that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties and that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. I say that every morning to help guide me. It's taught me that I'm not in control, and it was God's, God's way. My sponsor told me, taught me about Psalm 46, be still and know that I am. Patience is a virtue after all. So I started to show up, and I gave 110%. I worked the 12 steps, built a relationship with God, and surrounded myself with people who had gone before me. What's been given to me in return is a life I couldn't imagine before recovery. The Houston community surrounded me and showed me not only how to live a life, but to thrive without alcohol. They showed me how to go out to dinner and not order wine. They showed me how to entertain clients and not drink. They showed me how to show up. For my dying mother. 
and not reach for a glass or a bottle of wine to numb the pain. And for that, I'm forever grateful. They showed me how to seize moments and enjoy life to the fullest. Our 11th step states that I sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understood him, praying for only knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. I'm pretty good on most days of praying for his knowledge. The power to carry that out sometimes gets away from me, and I feel like I'm back in control. But I have to take the action. Um, And our 12th step states, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. Today, that's a guide for me. I found recovery. I had a spiritual awakening. I help others, and I live life in integrity. I believe there's many ways to recover. This is just my story. The rooms of 12 Steps presented miracles in front of me and continue to do so on a regular basis. I've seen lives transform, families reunited, and our community getting healthier. I see God in people, and I'm reminded that he's with me every step of the journey. You know, many people believe addiction is a moral lack of judgment. I'm here to share that it's a disease, and most people don't know how to get out of it, just like me. We have a solution. Today I show up and I share my experience, strength, and hope, and ask that you open your heart to people that are suffering. Today my life is as full as it could be, and I'm not even sure if I'd have time to fit drinking back in. I'm a perfectly imperfect wife, friend, sister, mother, and a grandmother. I have a career that I love. I volunteer my time with organizations I'm passionate about. I travel the world with my family and friends um, and have an ongoing relationship with God today. And all this is possible because I made a decision to do this thing called recovery. I'll leave you with the St. Francis prayer, which is quoted in our 12-step literature. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace, that where there is hatred... Yeah, I'm getting emotional. That there, where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Thank you.